Hello, today we are going over the core doctrine 20 of Christ, and it's the incarnation. The verses for it is John 1, 14. So, John 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The author here writes, In our modern scientific age, we prefer to understand and explain our world rationally and with cold, hard evidence. Talk of mystery and supernatural isn't popular. And one of the basic tenets of Christianity seems completely irrational and 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 demonstrable, sorry, uh, too mysterious to comprehend the incarnation. It's not only scandalous now in our culture, it was radical even in the ancient world, where it was unthinkable that a divine being could or would even want to become human. And how could such a person be both human and divine at the same time? Yet classic Christian teachings based on Scripture tells us this is what happened. The incarnation of God the Son is indeed a profound mystery. The invisible immaterial God condescended to take on human form. The Creator became that which He made to redeem humanity and ultimately all creation. This underscores both God's humility and His love for creation. Further, by welcoming or by becoming a human, God has dignified humanity in a way that goes beyond creating men and women in His image. The ancient world acknowledged that gods, goddesses, and supernatural beings could possibly take on a bodily form. In Greek and Roman mythology, such divine beings usually retain their self-consciousness and simply assume human form in order to communicate with human beings. I, Howard Marshall, explains their temporal manifestation in human form is an extension of their heavenly life, just as an actor assumes a mask and then discards it again. The gods thus simply appear to be human. The New Testament writer, however, means something far different when he describes the incarnation. Marshall explains, whereas the gods uh, temporarily take on human form, the word is united permanently with a human body to be a specific person, Jesus of Nazareth, and it is inconceivable that what God has joined together should ever be sundered. Further, with such prominent men in the ancient world were considered the offspring of gods and mortal women, there is no indication that ancients believed a divine person became human. Rather, they believed an entirely new person had come into existence. So throughout history, there is nothing fully comparable to the biblical idea that God became a man. To be sure, God appeared visibly and audibly to a particular person. See Galatians 3.8, Exodus 33.18 through 34, verse 9. But these instances are far different 
from God the Son becoming and forever remaining human. It is unprecedented in human history. Only God could ordain and orchestrate such things. God the Son did not become human so he could flaunt his power or use it to his own advantage. No, he became one of us in order to redeem us, to free us from sin and death and reconcile us to God. The Son of God became a servant while still remaining fully divine so that we might once again become sons and daughters of the living God. That's what Paul points out in Philippians. When he says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The incarnation, therefore, serves a model of sacrificial love, and it should exemplify for us not just who we are as people, but also who we are as workers. When we see problems at work in our communities, we shouldn't dismiss them as problems of other people. Christ took on our problems, our sin, and death, and provided a solution. As Christians who are now united in Christ, we reflect the love of God and the work of Christ when we sympathize with others and serve and love them. How might the incarnation of Christ lead you to love and serve others in your work? And now uh, we get to read a portion from a nonprofit founder. I went to college in a large city and studied theater. In my second year, I went on a spiritual quest of sorts to conform my life more closely to the life of Jesus as I saw it in scriptures. I wanted to live among the poor in one of my city's most impoverished communities, to move into the neighborhood, as the message says of the incarnation of Christ among his people. See John 1.14, the message. I didn't want to fix things or be a hero. I simply wanted to be a good neighbor. After I graduated, I stayed in our neighborhood and launched a nonprofit to benefit my neighbors. I didn't start any formal programs for three years. I didn't see my neighbors as ministry projects. In fact, I perhaps have been the one who has benefited the most. They have cared for me like a daughter, sister, and friend. They have helped me when I'm sick, invite me over for dinner, and show me love in so many ordinary ways. We are all working together with God to renew our part of the city, and everyone has resources and talents to contribute. We want to end poverty in our neighborhood, and our nonprofit organization offers several family programs, but our most valuable contribution is our authentic, faithful presence. We don't swoop in and out of neighborhoods to help families for one or two hours, then retreat. We live next door to the people whom we serve. We interact with families throughout the week and in unscripted and unscheduled ways. One challenge of my work is that I have to be willing to be interrupted. When my neighbor knocks on my door late at night explaining that her children's bunk bed collapsed, I have an opportunity to love and serve. I haven't planned for it, and maybe it isn't. It's been a long, exhausting day for me, but the commitment to live sacrificially as Jesus did leads me to prioritize others, comfort and interest over my own. The unplanned moments are often the most beautiful. I don't say yes to every need, and I recognize that God's work doesn't ultimately depend on me. 
Living sacrificially for others means patterning my life after Jesus, who come to our broken world for us. But thankfully, I don't have to be Jesus. I simply have to point to him and share his love with those in my neighborhood who need to hear about it. And I'll go ahead and read that verse one more time. It's John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Father, what you did with your son is truly amazing. I thank you that you gave us your son. You sacrificed him for us so that we could be reconciled back to you. And not just us, but all of creation, which is pretty awesome. I'm definitely excited to have my my pets up there being reconciled back with you. Um, it's just amazing how we get to participate with you in this, that we get to just being human and you decided to become like us. The word became flesh and you made your dwelling among us. I mean, you didn't do it with animals or other types of beings. You did it as a human. I mean, that's that's a, a pretty big honor and it's really hard to wrap my mind around. And you you did it in obedience. You you were following the will of your father. You took on such an extraordinary role because he sent you and because you loved us. And you were able to do it full of grace and truth. I ask that you help us to be able to do that. Um and to be full of grace and truth. I know it's really easy to be busy and to not be focused in the present and in the moment. And often I get so busy focused on tasks. Um, I don't see, you know, it makes it to where it's, it's hard for me to see the needs of others around me. Um, but it almost kind of makes it as if they aren't human anymore. Like they're, I mean, they are people, but they're tasks. They're a checkbox on the list of things. Like you, you want to be nice, you want to be polite, but you know, it's just a, another checkbox on the list. And it's usually not till those uninterrupted events happen the ones where life is really happening, usually it's sadly like a tragedy or something that's not good. And then all those raw emotions take place and you're like, wow, this person, you know, they're not a list. They're not another check mark or a thing to be polite to to go about your day. It's, you know, it's another human being. 
and and then it it's almost like you get I get stuck in autopilot. I forget I'm a human being. I forget that you made me in your image. Um, you know I I have a spirit. I have a soul, and I'm flesh. Um, and it's it's easy to be stuck in one of those, but not to be in operate in all of them at the same time and to do it full of grace and truth. But you did it, Jesus. And you showed us what it's like to do that and the things you did on this earth were extraordinary. Um, And you said we would be able to do greater things than these. It just blows my mind. So I just I ask Jesus that you help us to be full of grace and truth, to recognize what it means to be in the moment, to be present, to be human. Because uh, you became fully human, we should we should know what it's like to be fully human. We should know uh, what it's like to have our flesh and our soul and our spirit all connected and working in unison. And we should learn to recognize those parts in others and not to view the interruptions as interruptions and things taking us off our task, but as invitations to join with you in love for others. Help us to not only be uh, willing for those opportunities, but to be looking for them and to be ready. I thank you, Jesus, for your perfect example of love that you gave us. I thank you for your grace that you fill us with. Um, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in us and showing us how to be more like Jesus, how to operate um, in your power and strength. And I thank you, Father, for sending Jesus, for showing us how to be obedient to you, and I ask that we are able to to do the same. I ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Have a great week.